Welcome to Superior Podcast. I'm Father Samuel Schneider, and I am a priest of the Diocese of Superior, thus a superior priest. And this is a superior podcast. And I'm grateful to have uh, Megan McMeekin, the coordinator for religious education here in Yokosuka, along with me. And we wanted to talk a little bit about education. Obviously, everybody's thinking about education because we're starting the school year, we're starting the religious education year, and there's a lot of education going on. We're trying to get into a new rhythm, uh, but hopefully it's a good rhythm. And obviously, we we all know that we got to show up to school, but where does that come from? Because that hasn't always been the case throughout the ages. Um, I think Megan has a much better idea in terms of, well, first of all, welcome, Megan. Well, thank you. Yeah. Happy I, to be here. I'm so grateful to have you for religious education, for the coordinator for religious education, because uh, you have a real passion for uh, teaching as well as learning and education as a whole. Um, so... I'm uh, excited about that. I know kind of a little bit of jumping into the philosophy of education in some ways. Uh, I've heard some people argue that there's kind of a world, that, there's different philosophies out there, and some of those philosophies kind of tear down intellect or kind of education or learning or the ability to even know things. I mean, there's certain philosophies out there that you can never trust cause and effect and, and different things. But uh, I've heard it sometimes argued that Catholicism allows us to... Uh, again, the, the setup of religion or uh, other things, and especially Catholicism, allows for the scientific advancement and kind of education because it builds on a knowable world. The expectation is, is that God has created the world, and then it's knowable, and it's uh, predictable. And so it's meant to be able to be known and be able to understood. And so there's kind of, a, again, a building of knowledge that kind of takes place within that. I feel yeah. like we're going down a a, a different a, a, a path with a horse and a cart. And, yes, uh, exactly, exactly. And it, it's going to be driven by Rene Descartes because yes. that's a kind of very Descartes. The, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, there is there's a lot of basis. Well, a lot of education came came. From, I don't want to say came from Catholicism, right. but from the right. structure of yeah, Catholicism. Yeah, exactly. It's not strictly Catholicism per se. I mean, certainly that is a driving force in the Western world, uh, yes. for sure, that allowed uh, the st- a few things, not only in its understanding of education, but also its institutional stability that it, it formed right. and allowed uh, right. in the West. Yeah, it, it, you know, obviously with the birth of Jesus Christ, year zero, and then you really yeah. we went through the rise of the Roman Empire. Right. And, and even before, I guess I want to even go even before the Roman Empire, I find it fascinating that the Jewish culture as a whole uh, was way more educated than the normal right. uh, kind of... Jewish and Greek culture as a whole, uh, yeah. so particularly Sparta, where um, actually, well, like Athens, if you want to yeah. like nerd out really badly, but, yeah. um, you know... Education often was uh, the right of the rich and yes. the privileged. Sparta, actually, um, you were education was provided for every citizen of Sparta. Was that regardless. also true for Athens? It was not. I don't. Oh, well, okay. I don't want to say yeah, it was okay. not. I don't know for sure, okay. but I yeah. don't think so. And I, I know in the Jewish culture, it's incredible or Jewish religion. I right. mean, it's really important to know the scriptures and to be able right. to know the word of God, and so. Uh, there's just a an intentionality and a focus of learning Always, Hebrew right. and memorizing and kind of be learned. It's not education for education's sake. It's to that the intentionality of learning the Word of God in such a intense way, and that 
created, you know, again, an education, uh, an understanding of learning and knowledge uh, that was just inherent within the culture, which really, I think, set up uh, often where we saw that the um, even in Jews who were exiled and other things were able to be successful because they uh, had this kind of education, even though it wasn't education for the sense of getting a job, it was just education for the sense of their practice of God, you know, to worship God, and that right. had uh, so many different benefits. Right. So, well, it was seen as being very tied with their culture oh, yeah. as well, yeah. right? Exactly, and, exactly. And because the preservation. The religion, the re- oh, yeah, preservation <laughs> of, right. their of their culture and religion as well. And especially as, you know, they viewed their tribe as being very scattered. Mm-hmm. And it was the way that they maintained cohesiveness, cohesiveness within yeah. their religion and within their community. Yeah. It was knowing the scripture, and, knowing their tradition and the history. And, and yeah, within the Jewish nation yeah. as a people, not yeah. just as a religion, but as a people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. certainly those two are I- incredibly uh, intertwined and, mm-hmm. and unbreakable, you know, in kind of, yeah, the religion yeah. as well as the culture uh, uh, for Judaism. Um, so Jesus is born into certainly that kind of culture of education, which is different than a lot of other world. Plus, it has the stability of the Roman Empire as well as it, the influence of the Greek Hellenistic, you know, kind right. of, um, well, the whole Roman Empire was Hellenized and it was Greek right. that was spoken at that time as a whole. Um, and so, the, of course, the Catholic Church or the church, you know, is kind of born into this. Right. And, you know, until... What what would you say around two hundred A.D. Very underground. Yeah, in a very lot of underground. Ways. Yeah, so <laughs> often poor. Um, yeah, not so. We we don't really have a codified uh, right scripture, but there's just a lot of learning. There's very poor, learning. but there was there were a lot of educated people drawn absolutely. into it, like absolutely. Paul being an, a yeah. great example of that. Yeah. Um, absolutely, he had been born, I believe, into a Jewish family. Yes, and yes. had received a great deal of education. Was, himself. Uh, as he says in one of the things, if you think that you're a good Jew, I'm even better. I'm more, <laughs> I'm more of a Jew than any of you. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, and sure. so that we had that in. You know, we were lucky that, like, the Gospels were written down and preserved yeah. through right. that period. Yeah, and all that shows, a, again, a large amount of education as well as a, a somebody who needed to know how to read mm-hmm. and write and the importance to that in the community. Right. right? Um, and as that started to get more, as Christianity became more accepted as a religion mm-hmm. and then Constantine right. coming Legalized in, it. legalizing it, and... Um, then it being able to be practiced openly, that really started bringing all of this knowledge together. Mm -hmm. And then when you started to see the fall of the Roman Empire, the church continued to hold on to documents and Latin and all of these other structures that got lost in a lot of other ways in civilization. Yeah, Yeah. everything else was just falling apart. I mean, these (laughs) different uh, bands and, and, of course, the, the church kind of, especially in uh it wasn't just the church in general it was especially monasteries right monasteries and monasteries became great repositories for knowledge for um monks who specialized in different things as well um illuminating manuscripts you know uh scribes (laughs) and being able to copy and preserve records because the process back then for preserving was spotty at best. Yeah, so, that's right. And who knows how much has been lost to history. Yeah, absolutely. As much as been, it has been preserved, that probably 
four times as much has been lost, at, at least. Um, that's a very low estimate, now that I think about it. <laughs> well, uh, yes. who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So, <laughs> so anyway, so the monasteries were able to kind of protect themselves a little bit. They were. They were very defensive kind of yeah. areas. And then, you know, uh, Charlemagne and France came in in late 1700s, or 700s, not 17, but 700s. And um, because politicians and rulers were so tied with the church, he made an edict that churches and parishes started to have to educate for free hmm. children in the parishes to at least get a baseline level of literacy and so this was in the 700s 700 797 oh, okay, so yeah, yeah. yeah yeah okay so very early on yeah. and then about 300 years later 400 years later at the Lateran, third Lateran Council, yeah. not third, the first or no, second, no, no, no. but the third. Or the fourth, the third. Or the yeah. fourth, yeah. Because yeah. there, there's four. There are Lateran. four. Well, yeah. got to stick with number yeah. three. Yeah. So three, and so I find this interesting as well. I mean, just because Charlemagne said that that was important to do, still probably the literacy rate is still abysmally, you know, low. Yeah, well, and Charlemagne was a French ruler. He wasn't an entire ruler of an entire empire. Or the world. Or yeah. the world. Yeah. So that was within his domain, not right. within, not all of the world, yeah. but it got pushed out through the church. Yeah, and so it started to see Because as a those were the people that were qualified to do it because yeah. the church had been preserving all of these yeah. things. I, it's, it, um, yeah, priests are call, often called clerics mm -hmm. because they were the ones who were clerical, could, right. could read and write and do those types right. of clerical things. Um, and that was the only, sometimes the only people that yeah. were. And so they were the ones who were supposed to be the teachers. Interesting enough, it's completely random, but uh, they were also the ones who were the teachers on Navy ships. Or I shouldn't say priests, uh, but the chaplains were often the... Uh, the teachers as well mm -hmm. on ships that were out to sea for the military and other things. Anyways, because, yeah. again, they're the educated Right. Ones. Whereas it's funny, now, most people in my, not most people, but there's a lot of people in my parish who are much more educated than me. Um, but that wasn't the case 100 years ago. That's no, for sure. And all not before at all. that. And, um, yeah, so the Third Lateran Council really pushed it out through all of the church mm -hmm. to start establishing education. Yeah. Which has a much wider range than much just wider, Charlemagne. Right. In the, yeah, yeah. And started pushing uh, the priest in every parish to educate their flocks okay. and start sharing that with their flocks. And I think they saw that as a way to elevate society and culture and at large, and mm -hmm. as well the church and to spread more um, the church more throughout the world. And that led to a small renaissance for mm. the next couple hundred years, actually, of advances in particularly in the arts and humanities and sculpture and architecture. Huh. So it led to this small renaissance that, you know, I think gets underappreciated often what education can do for society. Yeah. That it has these ripple effects because ed education, when it starts early, it builds on itself and it gives more later in life and also leads to, you know, just a better, better stability and development for society. We need doctors. We need, we need everything. We need bank clerks. We need everything. And yeah. everyone needs to be able to read. Yeah. You know, we were just talking the other day about if you can read and comprehend what you're reading, you right. can learn almost anything. Right, exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's a, a kind of a baseline to start off 
uh, that kind of process of being yeah. able to learn, which is partly reading and writing, but that again breaks into so many, so many more yeah. things. And then, um, yeah, so those monasteries really became the seeds for what became a lot of modern universities in the Western world. Because they already had the libraries. Because they already had the libraries. <laughs> they already had um, people who had been studying there for years. Yeah. And the monasteries ran schools within them. And those became kind of higher education schools. Parish and parochial schools became smaller community schools our grade schools and high schools, and then the monasteries were the seeds for a lot of universities yeah. um, in Europe at this time, not yeah. in the United States, obviously, because right. right. it wasn't colonized yet. Mm-hmm. So it's just a really interesting kind of way that Catholicism, while spreading the word of God, is also spreading things that benefit culture as well, and a way to look at the world to understand it that gives us gives the rise to things like trigonometry and, um, you know, math and science and and art and sculpture. The scientific method. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I find it somewhat interesting as well, the importance of kind of education happening, which is very different than maybe a Protestant view of teaching and education, which is very much about being able to read scripture Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, so much of Protestant kind of religion is is focused on reading scripture yourself and praying with it uh, which is good um, but most people didn't have access to be able to read scripture and the catholic church wasn't teaching people education to be able to read scripture because um and i still think there's you know there's still uh i think right to a degree bad interpretations of scripture which take place and so the church was even though that we wanted education and wanted people to learn about scripture they wanted to be able to do it in the right way but the baseline education was not so that they could read scripture to be saved it was so that they could be educated to be able to be whole human beings and that some would go on to you know learn more about scripture and be able to teach other people about it um, certainly as as the priests Um, but it wasn't it wasn't primarily just to read scripture, which no. I, I feel like, uh, again, is a, is yeah, just uh, just different. I mean, so it's a religiously based, but not explicitly. Yeah, yeah, I and I, I, yeah, I think early on too, you know, especially as you go through the Renaissance and you step through that period, such an explosion of science and trying to really figure out the order of the natural world. Yeah, and using methodology instead yeah. of just guessing and that it's a spirit or something or a or we're just going to assign mystery to this thing yeah that there might be something behind it now the catholic church sometimes gets a bum rap sometimes with galileo and others well uh, i mean just like anything even the catholic church isn't perfect and maybe well the church is the individuals. I'm are. sorry. Yes. The church, the church is, is. You are the correct. The bride of Christ. When I yeah. when I say the church like that, I mean, of course, the people who yeah. run the church. Yeah. But even Galileo's affair, if you look into it a little bit as well, there's quite a few anti-Catholic uh, kind of stories that mm-hmm. run around. So we kind of get our idea of the Catholic Church being the bad guys or the boogie guys against Galileo, as well as the church um, chaining Bibles, you know, so that people can't read it. Mm-hmm. Very much from an anti-Catholic. Um, often propaganda. So if you look at Galileo affairs as well, the Pope and everybody do- doesn't exactly come out squeaky clean, but they don't come out as an anti, uh, anti-science 
individuals. They, in fact, there there was an idea. Galileo, in his calculations, was actually wrong, and there was other people who promoted the same thing as him that weren't, you know, kind of criticized by the church. It was the way that he went about doing it and other things. He was kind of a jerk. He was he was kind of a, a lot of smart you know, people are. <laughs> you know, like to be fair, yeah, to be fair, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Some um, of the most brilliant minds are can. Yeah. within yeah. very cantankerous personality. Yeah. yeah. So Bishop Barron has a good uh, kind of site talking about, as well as a good um, kind of dig- digging it out to it a little bit. It's a lot more complex than, mm-hmm. oh, the church wanted to stick its head and say, you know, oh, if you change this type of worldview, then, you know, oh, then Christianity isn't going to, then Catholicism is wrong, and that's not the case. And it's a lot more than that. I mean, um, and uh, I'd also say kind of one other kind of, again, propaganda that kind of goes is that, well, the church, you know, chained Bibles and that so that people couldn't read them. Um, I think there's a real fear of people misunderstanding Scripture for sure, which mm-hmm. we, we do in the modern day often. So there needs to be a certain baseline. But also kind of Bibles being chained was because they were incredibly valuable. <laughs> and right. so it wasn't so that, so that you couldn't have it. It was so that it wouldn't be lost. Right. for the common use of people who are going to use it. And so it's kind of, again, um, it's depending on, again, understanding a little bit more of the context and everything else, we're able to say, like, yeah, the church isn't anti-education or you learning, but it is um, about something more than just yeah. the surface value at sometimes yeah. the scene. And I mean, it was a it was a different time, different world, and uh, we couldn't pick up a phone and call each other then either to talk about stuff. We had to wait for horses and ships to carry messages around. It was around. much slower. It yes. was much slower yes. and slower to change. And um, yeah. but you know, Catholicism and the Church really gave a stability for the preservation of Latin. Yeah. Um, for which? Why is that important? Well, the preservation of Latin allows for us as Catholics, the way I view it is that it allows for a stability in um, our writings that we keep and the that there is a, because it's kind of not a living language anymore. Right. It doesn't evolve anymore. Right. It doesn't change anymore. And we do all of our official business in Latin with right. the Vatican. And there is always going to be a steadfastness to it, a, there is. an unchangeability about it, because it does, it's not spoken anymore. Right. So, so that's one of the crazy things about Greek, is the scriptures was, were, were written in Greek. Aramaic, but, Greek, right, uh, I think. They spoke Aramaic. Right. Jesus would have spoken Aramaic, but they were written in Greek. They have a few Aramaic words, but um, the ancient greek mm. i don't know if there's different dialects there even are then. but okay well yeah. anyways all that to anyway. be said <laughs> is that two thousand years later yeah. is someone a modern greek reading that can't understand it it you cannot it's, it is very different it's it's evolved like it's i can changed. recite to you the first like eight lines of antigone which was written in like 400 bc and a modern Greek, Greek reader wouldn't, wouldn't be able to wouldn't understand, be able to understand it. it. Right, yeah. so this is kind of the disadvantage of using the language that's doing. So Latin, yeah. being a dead language, has a lot of advantages right. to be able to give a stability so that in another 500 years, mm-hmm. uh, somebody can look back a 1,000 years and know exactly what the Latin, right. because that meaning of the word hasn't changed. Right, 
And in fact, um, in one of the churches in Rome, yeah. it's uh, St. Clement's in Rome, mm-hmm. and they call it the pancake ch- or the lasagna church. Sorry, because okay. lasagna- you can you can look at it through the history. Oh, through all the ages. Yeah, yeah. yeah so the very bottom about. level yeah. has like the first. Um, ever written vulgar Latin, okay. which is vulgar what turn- means spoken. Spoken, and it's what turned into Italian. Okay, so it is not the written Latin that we use mm-hmm. uh, for yeah. uh, the church documents and everything. It is the spoken Latin that evolved out of Latin, Latin. Okay, so um, we it's kind of a neat yeah. a neat place to see because it's like this little slice of history. Yeah, and then two more churches were built on top of it. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. It's it's amazing to see that kind of his history, um, and the continued development that we have of language and everything else. So all that to be said, yeah. then we get really the most important language of all: English. English, you know. English, the sloppiest yeah. and most uh, mongrel language on the planet. Yeah, absolutely. Which just is a, a but it's great crazy amalgamation. Yeah, and get to English and yeah. and so we get to the United States I mean obviously yeah. that's a lot more relevant for us um, and in the United States you know kind of immigrants and everything else it's mostly <laughs> at least the 13 colonies are are all Protestant we have a little bit of uh, majority Catholic in, down in Florida kind of uh, coming Florida up because of France. the Spanish in French. Florida French in French. Louisiana French is French over there French Spanish Louisiana in Spanish in Florida, Florida. And then uh, French in Louisiana. Yeah, and, and then uh, a little bit of a little bit of a Catholic community in Maryland as well. There was some yeah, Rhode Island as well. There. Yeah, yeah, Pennsylvania has a little bit, but they again yeah. have kind of added, you know, kind of there taken away. Yeah, and anyway. Yeah, but very very Protestant. Yes. Very Protestant yeah. in general. In fact, Rhode Island, there was a, a story that happened at one point, and there was like writing, and they actually burned the convent that was there and other things. This was, you know, again, early in the 1600s right. and stuff. Um, yeah, so just kind of a very haphazard kind of Catholic presence. Yeah. So, uh, but we have some education happening very early, we which do. education it, are, you know, starting to, again, there's a Protestant push for education mainly to read and write yeah. and those other things. We have the printing press, which, again, completely transforms education as a whole. Right. Um, well, reading uh, so much, like, yeah, the the printing press from Germany started in Germany. Germany right. And first thing that was printed was? Bible. The Bible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Uh, the Gutenberg Bible. Yeah. 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 So, um, sorry, kind of going back in some ways to kind of go, go forward to the United States. And so, again, and so the Catholic population there kind of are on the outs in some ways. Right. Kind very of marginalized. Marginalized, very much in the minority. Yeah. And the first wave of immigrants was mainly Protestant Right. Europeans that Absolutely. came in, which is funny. They were running away from persecution sometime, yeah. sometimes, 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 and then going there and yeah, yeah. or yeah, yeah, penal or colonies find, or yeah. you know all kinds of different yeah. things, indentured servants, yeah. all, all different kinds of reasons people came. Yeah, that's true. Um, and came here and then uh, kind of formed these. These little niche, niches, yeah. niches, uh, yeah, areas means, of yeah. Catholicism. So yeah. the and French in Louisiana, of yeah. course, and um, 
as more Catholics started coming in, of course, we didn't see like the big Catholic migrations until the 1800s mm-hmm. when the Irish and the um, Italians nice, really yeah. started coming in. But there were some that were coming in and uh, as early as like 1760s, 1770s, we yeah. start seeing more Catholic influence and what do a lot of them end up doing, especially the women saints? Yeah. They end up building schools yeah. and educating, and not just educating, but educating a lot of marginalized populations as well. A lot of the poor. A lot of the uh, poor, African-Americans, yeah. Yeah. slaves, Native Americans, building missions, building schools, building convents, a lot of schools, yeah. and doing that. And um, two of our saints in America, the probably the two most famous female saints tied with education are... St. Catherine Drexel and mm-hmm. St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. And St. Elizabeth Ann Seton uh, actually has a connection with the Navy. I think one or two of her sons were midshipmen yeah. in the U.S. Navy. And yeah, so, and her husband was a merchant, yes. and yeah. Um, yeah. they owned like a shipping company. She's patron saint of sailors as well as yeah, education, right, Catholic right, education. Yeah. And so, yeah, so she kind of felt called to do something more, and... Um, yeah, she started an orphanage and a school, is that right? Or was it just a school? She just did schools. Okay. The orphanage, uh, the saint that did the orphanages and the schools was St. Rose Philippine Duquesne. Yeah. Um, so she did orphanages and St. Francis Xavier Cabrini. Cabrini, she was an, yeah. Yeah, she was an Italian yeah. who came here and um, she was going to start an orphanage and they had sold the land. <laughs> And so she couldn't, and the bishop wanted her to just go back to Italy, didn't want her to stay, but she stayed and founded orphanages and schools, and she was the... um, Was Cabrini, it was Cabrini or Drexel, I can't remember which one, went to the Pope and said, hey, somebody should do something about, you know, the poor in the United States and take care of those Catholics, and the Pope said, yeah, what about you? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm not sure which one. I think probably Cabrini. Yeah. I think probably Cabrini. She was saucy. Drexel was... uh, Drexel came from a very wealthy family in Philadelphia. So It might have been Drexel. It might have been been. because she was was never married. And, you know, she tried giving away a lot of her money. um, And I think she probably would have gotten an audience with the Pope and, and kind of implored, you know, like, hey, can I send a religious community? We need to help. And the Pope said, well, what about you? Yeah. So um, it's kind of funny in Philadelphia, there is a Drexel University, but it is, it's tied to her family, not her. Um, She actually started a university in New Orleans, Mm -hmm. which is the only historically black United States Catholic university (laughs) and still exists down there today. So, yeah. And um, I just find it interesting that so many female saints in, from the United States are so tied into education yeah particularly it's It's a particular need in the well the church yeah i i see the infrastructure for schools as well as hospitals is catholic in the united Mm -hmm. states um now obviously the government has taken over most of the schools but anything outside of the government which i don't know exactly the history in terms of the parochial schools versus the state schools and how that operates but Certainly, again, there's just such an infrastructure of Catholic schools from parochial, college, 
as well as hospitals that are just it's it's unbelievable what yeah. uh, what the Catholic influence within this country is. Yeah, um, <laughs> at a certain point, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in fact, the um, Saint Francis Xavier Cabrini, she's the first U.S. citizen to be canonized, okay. and Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton is the first U.S. born okay person right. to be canonized. Yeah. So. Um, it's kind of interesting that both of those were women. Yeah, and, yeah, and both educators. And both yeah. educators. Yeah. And that they just put out these tendrils. Um, my sister actually attended St. Elizabeth um, College, College of okay. St. Elizabeth in New Jersey. Okay. And she yeah. was run by her order, the Sisters of Charity. Right, right. Yeah, and our sis- yeah I visited the, her tomb and, and other things out on the East Coast. Um, of course, forgetting exactly. It where. is in Maryland. It is in Maryland, yeah. and it's right next to a university. It is where there's a seminary. And anyways, yeah. Anyways, yeah. good. Um, all that to be said, uh, I think about today as well with education as a whole, and again, kind of going back of what's the purpose of Catholic education, which isn't just to read and write, and not just learning about facts, but what I what I learned when I went to seminary was that education wasn't just about getting a job, but about the formation of a human person. Right. Um, which is very philosophical as well. I mean, I was studying quantitative economics at the Naval Academy, you know, and very much, again, facts, numbers, math. And then I went to study philosophy. And I'm like, what's the point of this? I can't get a <laughs> job with this. And you yourself, you chose to study philosophy right off I did. I did. Yeah. I just, um, I was really lucky. I went to a really good high school. And, yeah. and it offered all different kinds of classes, like an intro to philosophy class and an ethics class and all different kinds of really interesting like history classes that weren't just straight stick right. kind of world history and U.S. So you history. kind of had this engagement of the intellect of, yeah. kind of more of, of just thinking about the why questions that are often crushed in and most souls. And I was lucky with my parents, too. Yeah. My parents, both very avid readers, always read to us when we were little and always encouraged us to read and would always buy us books and yeah. engage us in that way. So that was really, yeah, I mean, like... So, we would always, I would always get books at Christmas and birthdays and Easter even, just all different kinds of things. And so you went to St. John's? <clears throat> I went to St. John's which College. Which is not a Catholic college. It is it's not. St. It Catholic. is the third oldest uh, university or college in the country, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And very much focused on, again, this the uh, classical method. Of right, yeah. It's, it's what they call a great books program. Great books program. Yeah. So it's a lot of... A whole lot of reading. Oh my word! So yeah. So you come out with a great education, yeah. but not necessarily not of the modern day idea of the education of getting a being able to get a, right. a specialty. Yeah, or, like I didn't do like physics. Right. We read Newton. Yeah. Like we actually read Newton. Like I didn't do math. We read Euclid and Ptolemy and crazy. all yeah. that kind of yeah. stuff. And then. I mean, it had to recreate all these experiments and these equations and do all this stuff, and yeah. it was... Um, it gave you the basis to be able to learn yeah. hopefully anything. I mean, it's kind of the idea. It, it's it's a great education to teach you how to think. How to think, yeah. Which I think is, which I think is so important because uh, a lot of the times we just, again, become robots or kind of right. plug into it with this kind of idea of education just being about facts. 
once you learn enough and and then you're good. And I think that's really important for us to think about as Catholics is, again, uh, this idea of the formation of the human person. Mm-hmm. Um, not just for the intellect, but for our flourishing, um, and which requires our engagement with our thoughts and our thinking and why we right. do things and, and why is it this way and how do I change this and how do I change myself? How do I interact with the world? And, and that's really education and learning as a whole, which we always continue to keep right. on doing. Which I think is, it's two things too. It's being mm-hmm. able to look at yourself critically as well as the yeah. outside world yeah. and being able to live and examine the life. And yeah. be I able mean, to examine right. the world around you. What is uh, Socrates? Is he uh, about a life, an unexamined life is not a life, yeah. or not life a life worth, worth living. living. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And the virtuous life is the happy life? Or something, like something like that. Something like that, yeah. yeah. Anyways, <laughs> these are good things to think because when you just kind of get focused on engineering, as good as engineering is, there's a lot right. more to life and learning with that. And so when I went and studied philosophy, it was, again, it was like, oh, this isn't great for a job, uh, but it, but it's great for... If your job's going to be a priest, it is. <laughs> it, it is, <laughs> in, in that case. But uh, if not, then you know, I'm in trouble. Um, so, uh, and I think we need to think about that as well when we again, as education as a whole, not just philosophy, not just right. college, but uh, when we send the kids to school, that they're really being formed how to think. Right. And there's a lot of, as well as what happens in the home. Right. So parents are the primary educators. They are. They're primary educators in all sorts of things. I mean, sometimes because the children are watching parents and learning from them in so many different ways about what's normal, what does a human person do, right. what do they do, what don't they do, and, what do they learn, take right. enjoyment. And I would say whether the parent engages deeply with their child or if yeah. they don't, their child is still learning oh, from absolutely. them. absolutely. And, um, you know, I think that's when sometimes it, it becomes like, well, I didn't teach him to do that. Well, you also didn't not teach him to do it so it's um i said this the other day that you know the 75 minutes my catechists get with a child is dwarfed by the you know six other days and 22 hours that they have with their parents yeah and their friends. And, and you look at siblings. normal education as well, kind of at the school as well. Same I mean, thing. it's an amazing, well, I would almost say the opposite in, in some ways that uh, sometimes kids almost get, uh, again, they have more time in school than you sometimes have in terms of interaction with parents, not over their True. whole life to True. a degree. But that's incredibly, it's incredibly forming. It and, is. And parents need to be aware of that. And yeah, and I think in you know, any engaging. school can be a good school if Absolutely. you are engaged with your child's yeah. education. and talking about them and yeah. know, what, know what's going on and, and engaging mm-hmm. in that exactly, exactly right. Um, and we do start to see a certain point when the world starts to educate more than the parent. And when I say world in this specific case, I'm just talking about, you know, again, outside influences right. just in general. Um, and that happens at, at some point, different for different kids at different times as well as with mm-hmm. different parents. But the parents are the primary educators, and they're meant to, again, not just uh, form their child to get a job or to do well or get A's or to know those facts. Right. Really the most important education that we have is the formation of the human person. Yeah. Which isn't remembering multiplication tables. It's helpful. Uh, but it's about you know learning how to fail 
and get back up, about learning how to uh, do well and take pride in something that's well done. Pride in not a sinful way, but right. <laughs> no, being you know having a sure. sense of accomplishment, yeah. knowing that you can accomplish, and there's and worth in that, and, yeah. and growing, and, yeah. and and thinking, and and that it's not just something to make it by, make by, you know, just make it through, right? But, and um, my niece and nephew always say to me, "Oh, Aunt May May, why are you so much more fun than our mom?" I'm like, <laughs> "Well." Because your mom needs to turn you into good people. <laughs> I get to come in and have fun with you yeah. and give you back. Like, that's right. my job. I'm an aunt. I'm right. not, you know, your mom has that responsibility, yeah. and that's very much how my sister sees yeah. it, and which is great. And so grounding kids or yeah. punishing them is a learning, yeah. uh, is really hopefully an act of love, which is helping, you know, teach the child, yeah. you know, consequences and and, and as well, what their actions do, how they have, how their actions affect other people, all of that is learning, right? Um, and it's education, even though that it's not the traditional education of we think about again and facts and numbers and everything else. So with that, uh, finally making it to the last little leg of the journey, okay, let's uh, go. Is the religious education kind of aspect, right. which you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, that again we only get a small little bit of the religious education formal classes right and we try to get 30 hours a year we do for um for pre-k through confirmation 30 hours a year is what our diocese ask us to do in order for it to count for a full catechetical right. year but all the yeah. 30 hours isn't exactly learning or education it's partly you know checking in it's doing other things it's doing activities it's sure you know, it's a whole bunch yeah of it's things. not just sitting down in the classroom and being facts. told that what year the Council of Trent yeah. happened yeah, and exactly. uh, what every word... How many of, Lateran councils there are. Yeah, every, um, yeah. And what every word yeah. of the Nicene Creed means now. Right. But also understanding why it means that. Right. And right. how that helps. Yeah. And, and I, I, especially early on, and I say this to my younger, my catechists in the younger grades, that really what we're trying to do at this point is find the joy and love of Jesus Christ. Right. I find I think that like pre-K through like first communion that is that is what I send them in there with is joy and love and when we get that basis then we start building we need that foundation of the pure love of God and Jesus Christ to build the rest of it on. Yeah. And um that is so really we're not trying what I to crush those need. little souls, you know, with information. Is that what you do? No, that's not. And it yeah, doesn't not seem to, to be. Do. It no. doesn't seem to be Captain Water Balloon fight. No, no. There's <laughs> uh, so yeah. I think there's an aspect of formation as opposed to just information that we're right. trying to um, give, and that formation for the little ones. Again, the information is relatively in, unimportant because. Right. They can learn the information really easily right. if they think that it's important. If they don't think that it's important, then information is never going to be learned. Right. That's what I, that's kind of my experience with uh, the faith anyways, is that I was a pretty smart kid. I was able to learn information, but I promptly forgot all religious information because I didn't think it was important. So I just learned it to pass the test or whatnot. Right. And it was when I started to th- take it as important that all of a sudden, again learn anything 
you know, there's so much, this is such an age of education and information that there's not really an issue of either you learn this right now or you'll never learn it. Well, and here's the really funny thing too, such an age of accessibility to information and everything is just a click away. We carry in our pocket the entire world. Absolutely. And there are still things we just don't know. Yeah, and absolutely. We're still that we can forgotten. still find and learn. And I think that's oh, one absolutely. of the best things is yeah. that that for me is one of the great joys of teaching yeah. is that there's always something to learn. Yeah. And no matter who you're teaching, they're going to come at you with a question one day that's going to stop you in your tracks. And you're going to be like, oh, absolutely. I don't know. I'm pretty good at knowing everything, so I'm I'm pretty good at that. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. What right. do we face? I see that gauntlet. I see that gauntlet. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes every once in a while, somebody yeah, I'm able to make something up normally. Yeah, and that's what yeah. you want to do. Just yeah, make, just make it something up. up. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> um, so, uh, sorry, the last uh, last kind of thing on that with the formation. Um, so we're trying to trying to form the individual as a whole out of love. Of Jesus Christ and da 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 da. Sorry, lost my train. I totally yeah. had something great to say. I know everything. You do know That's, everything. I think it's that just, I it's think, just that you can't I think remember. That was That's the, the Holy problem. Spirit. <laughs> give me a little bit of humility there. Is what just happened. Like, oh yeah, you're able to break this. You're day. either humble or you will be in a minute. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think that just happened. So, um, so uh, there's sometimes. I think there's a great lack of understanding of what the Catholic Church teaches as well as why it teaches and kind of information as a whole. But again, I don't think any of that is important if it's not important. If if, if somebody doesn't think that, again, learning about God is important, it doesn't matter what kind of information is out there. Yeah, and that starts at home. It does. More than anything else, it starts at home. It does start at home, and it starts at home uh, by example. And often, again, kids are watching you when you don't want them to watch you. Right. And they're not watching you when you want them to watch you. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, uh, again, uh, a a terrible, well, it it keeps you, keeps the parents, you know, obviously on your toes to a certain degree. And I I talked about this with the uh, parents the other day was, you know, the best way to teach your kids how to pray is to have them catch you praying. Right. Because then they know that it's not just for show. It's not you just trying to tell them how to do something, but you really intend it. And I think the same exact way with learning about your own Catholic faith and kind of formation as a whole is, you know, I asked a few questions to the kids and they didn't know the answers. And then I asked the parents and they didn't know the answer. And it was important, I think, for the kids to also realize that you yourself are learning as well. So, again, how are we forming these kids? How are you forming your children? Uh, Thinking about, again, not just by information, Mm -hmm. but by formation of learning. If they're learning from you how to learn. Because right. they're seeing you learn more. You're, they're seeing you go a little bit deeper. That's the best formation. Uh, right. It's amazing how uh, on fire, I've seen this with a few families where the family is kind of disengaged from Catholicism and the parents start taking it more seriously. And if they're, their children are at different ages, the older kids have already been formed enough in mm-hmm. their religious that they continue to not care about religion but it's amazing to see the distinct difference at certain ages of the younger kids where they maybe didn't go to church for the first seven years of their life, but they started to see their parents make 
church and important in their life, important in their life, right. because it was important to them. Right. And all of a sudden, this seven, eight-year-old is, you know, on fire. You know, five years later, because again, they've they've seen this organic, you know, really genuine and authentic growth, and they've been formed in a way of just desiring and growing and being formed in Catholicism. Mm-hmm. So. The best way to have your children formed in Catholicism is desire and form yourself uh, in that way. And I would say, uh, you know, even as a CRE and a priest, we still learn every day. What? Yeah, it's true. I'm sorry. I mean, shoot, I'll be 51 in a few months, and there is so much more out there. There's only a few more things. I think I'll be good in a few months. You think? Yeah, no. Okay, good. No, I'll keep on learning. There's so much, <laughs> so much obviously out there that I, I, I don't know. I have a, a, you know, I've got a, yeah, anyways, there's plenty I do not know. And what, well, yeah, anyways, the, uh, the last thing that I'd like to, to say is that it always seems like every single age is the worst, right? And, uh, but I don't believe in that because... Although we have it worse in some ways today, we also have it a lot better in other ways, and it's always changing. And I think that's difficult for humanity because it's really hard to, again, judge apples versus oranges mm-hmm. because we can't. So, uh, but one of the critiques, and I think is certainly accurate, is that a lot of Catholics don't know Catholicism, you know, what the church teaches or, or how to follow it or how to pray. And there's just a whole lack of catechesis as a whole. And there's, you know, it, it hurts sometimes to see certain kids, you know, not know or, or certain Catholics not know. But this isn't a new thing. Um, I was looking up uh, Pope, Paul, Pope Pius X, which really tried to push uh, CCD and religious education as a whole. And he wrote wrote in this encyclical in uh, 1915. Right? Oh, 1905. Oh. 1905. It says, It is a common complaint, unfortunately too well-founded, that there are large numbers of Christians in our own time who are entirely ignorant of those truths necessary for salvation. And I would say again, uh, you know, Pope Pius X decried this in, in 1905. Again, this just lack of catechesis, this ignorance that we have. And, and it's still true today. Right. We haven't fixed it. But that's also because we have a totally new generation and a totally new generation of people which are constantly here. And so we want to ultimately be Christian, you know, not ignorant of those truths, to learn ourselves and become disciples. Mm-hmm. who are walking closely with God, learning, and then hopefully helping the next generation to do that as well. Hopefully. Awesome. I hope so. All right. Uh, any last thoughts? No. Okay. Just go to Mass. It's the best form of catechesis. <laughs> yes, Mass <laughs> is the best form of catechesis. Again, not in information. Right. Not informationally, because, again, a lot of it is the same every single time. But in terms of formation, in terms of, again, worship of God, which needs to be, again, uh, you know, again, with it, which is interior, which is mm-hmm. a whole, whole thing. Um, but it is the best way of formation. It um, really is. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Thanks. God bless. And uh, we'll, you guys will hear us later. God bless. Bye.